Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Today's lesson is from a session of the Timothy Institute. The Timothy Institute meets quarterly and is a ministry of Berean Bible Church in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. For more information, see www.bereanbiblechurch.com. Let's turn to Matthew 24, Matthew chapter 24. And you know, these these uh, couple of chapters here in Matthew, Matthew 23, Matthew 24 uh, especially, deal with a lot of a lot of future things, and you know, one of the one of the fastest ways to um, ruin a ministry is to start taking passages like this and, and setting dates and, and that kind of thing. These these passages, in fact, often what happens um, here in Matthew 24, like if you look at in the um, beginning part of Matthew chapter 24, uh, you see verse 4, it says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. You know, and you think about uh, people, I mean, we look at, at the world today, and, and you see all kinds of wars and rumors of wars, right? But what does Christ say? He doesn't say, those are the signs of the end. He says, don't be troubled at those things. The end is not yet. Right? He describes some other things there. He, he says, nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. He doesn't say these are, are the end. He says these are the beginnings of sorrows. Right? Or the beginning of sorrows. And uh, what people do is they take what he's really saying there in that passage is these kinds of things, wars, rumors of wars, kingdom. He says that's going to happen because that's always happened. Right? I mean, that's, that's what happens in the world. Uh, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, right? He's not telling them those things are the are the sign of the end. He's saying, don't be troubled at those things. Those things are going to happen. That's he says that's the that's the beginning of sorrows. And then he gives what he gives as the 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 definite sign it isn't until you get to verse 15 where he talks about the abomination of desolation. Okay. And, and so much of what people point to in the world today when they want to say, oh, you know, the, the uh, return of Christ must be right around the corner, is they're pointing to all the things that Christ said don't be troubled about. Um, here, you know, he's, he's uh, given these various things. Then he talks about the abomination of desolation and, and the things that come after that. And, and down to verse 31, at the end of verse 31, you've got, you've got uh, Christ returned and the elect being gathered together. Now he's going to go back and, and just give them a few uh, additional points of information here. And so he says in verse 34, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now that word generation is one of the terms that people often use in trying to set dates and, and various things. And you see generations talked about in, in different passages. And often... 
what people wind up trying to do is to figure out what is the the length, what is this period of time called a generation. And so they'll look at various passages, you know, uh, you can go back, many go back uh, into the Old Testament when God brought Israel out of Egypt and they refused to go into the land and the Lord said they would wander in the wilderness until that generation had, had passed away and they were there 40 years. And so people say, okay, a generation is 40 years. And then they start trying to attach certain events. Uh, and all of that is based on this idea that the word generation signifies some definite period of time that has some consistent meaning in the Bible. The problem with that is that that's not what the, the word generation, either the English word or, or the Greek word uh, that, that it translates, they don't, they don't signify necessarily a period of time, okay? And, uh, the word, the word generation, uh, the, the Greek word, it certainly can refer to a period of time, just like we might use that word generation to, to, uh, refer to a period of time. But a generation is literally something that is generated. And if you think about different ways we, we might use the, that term, uh, you know, a generation uh, would be, for instance, you know, my my uh, siblings and I, you know, my parents are one generation, and then you have me and my siblings, and we're another generation, and then my kids, they're another generation, right? They were generated uh, from, my kids were generated from my wife and I, I was generated from my parents, and, and that's really kind of the, the base meaning of the word. So that word generation can can mean, certainly it can mean a group of people living at the same time. Uh, it can also mean a, a nation, a people, a people with a common ancestry, you know, that, that uh, uh, come from the same roots. In fact, if you go back to, Gen or to Matthew chapter 23, let's notice how the word generation is used here uh, to help us see that, that often that term can have a much broader meaning than just trying to reduce it to period of 40 years or, or whatever people try to make it to be. Um, the word generation is used a couple of times here at the end of chapter 23. Uh, for instance, you see in verse 33 where he says, Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Now, if you remember all the way back in Genesis, the Lord talked about the seed of the serpent, how he would put enmity between the seed of the woman, which is a reference to Christ, and the seed of the serpent. And, you know, some people have, have developed very fanciful theories about what the, the seed of the serpent is. Here Christ tells unbelieving Israel that they are a generation of vipers. What he's saying is you're the offspring of vipers. He's saying you're, you're the seed of the serpent. It's a, a spiritual seed. It's a... a uh, a generation, just like we might say, uh, or the scripture says that Abraham is, is the father of all them that believe. Even if he's not your physical father, he's the father of all them that believe. Uh, unbelievers are the generation of serpents. They're the, they're the seed of the serpent, a generation of vipers. Okay, and so that's what Christ calls them there. Now, when he says that, is he talking only about the people at, alive at the time when he's there on the earth talking to them, keep reading. He says, Ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Verse 34, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them ye shall kill and crucify. Some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues. 
and persecute them from city to city. Notice verse 35, that upon you, who's the you, you generation of vipers, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel under the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom ye, the generation of vipers, slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. He says these things, this destruction is going to come on this generation, and what's going to come on them is the blood of all the, all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of Abel, he says, to the blood of Zacharias, who you slew. Now, none of the people that Christ is talking to here were around when Zacharias was killed, much less when Abel was killed, but it was Zacharias, he says specifically, who you slew, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Okay? And uh, so those those two men, here you have, you have Abel from the book of Genesis, you have Zacharias from, from the book of Second Chronicles. Uh, in English, that works out, we can say it's from A to Z, right? The idea is he's saying, he's saying, you're going to be held responsible, this generation of vipers, you're going to be held responsible for all the righteous blood shed from Abel to Zacharias from, from beginning to end. Uh, you're going to be held responsible for that. So how long is the period of time in that generation? Right? And he says, when he says these things are going to come upon this generation, he's talking about the judgment to come. Okay? And so, so you see the word generation there, you can't reduce it down to some 40 year period of time or, or anything like that. There's a, a people that he's talking about that killed Zacharias and that are going to suffer the, the judgment to come. Uh, and, and he says that those things are going to come on that generation. Now, in Matthew 24, uh, it's it's a little bit different, but the word generation is used in that same kind of sense uh, when it says that this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. He's not talking about a time period called a generation, but here he's talking about, really be talking about the nation of Israel here. It's a promise that that generation is not going to, to disappear. It's not going to be destroyed. They're... You know, there's going to be a remnant that's going to make it through all of that judgment and see the fulfillment of those things and see the establishment of the kingdom. That you, you can't use that verse to try and set some date and say certain things have to happen within a certain period of time. Um, even, you know, even not even accounting for the dispensation of grace, even just right here within that kingdom program, he's saying this generation He's talking here about the about that remnant of Israel, about the nation of Israel, that they're going to survive. They're going to make it through those things to the fulfillment of those things when the elect are gathered together from, from the four winds. Um, he, he says in verse 35, that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And, and again, the, the idea there is that that generation... Uh, they can they can rely on this promise of God because of His enduring word. They can have just as much faith in the fact that they are not going to be utterly destroyed before these things come to pass as they can have in the fact that God's word is not going to be destroyed or God's word is not going to, to pass away. You can have more faith in these promises and have more faith in God's word. You can have more faith that that's going to endure 
than that earth and even heaven itself would endure. Because earth and heaven and earth will pass away, but God's words won't pass away. And so this, this promise that he gives that these gener- this generation won't pass until these things are fulfilled, it is, it is just as, um, just as, as reliable, just as durable as what God's word is. Verse 36, he says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And that, that ought to be all the warning you need against setting some date, right? He says, Of that day and hour knoweth no man. Um, in fact, if you uh, compare this with the parallels in the other Gospels, uh, in another place, he, he even says that the Son doesn't even know. Here he lists the Father. He, he says, he says that the Father knows, I'm sorry, he says the Father knows, but he says the angels don't know. Another passage, he says even the Son doesn't know, but the Father knows. Okay? So, so he gives them this, this promise so that they don't have to be troubled about these things. Uh, and, and certainly if we were to do, you know, a much more in-depth study of this period of time, we could see the various ways that God will, will protect uh, his people there during this period and, and defend them. Of course, you know, many believers will die for the, the things that they believe coming through the, this tribulation. Uh, but, but we also see the provision of God in all of those things. But he tells them of that day and that hour, no man knows, even the angels don't know, even the son doesn't know, but the father knows. And the idea there is that they just need to rely on the Lord through those things. Um, and and he says in verse 37 that as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And so he, he compares it back to the judgment that came on the earth in the days of Noah. And and how the, the world was just oblivious to what was coming. Now, it wasn't that the world... Uh, they, I mean, they were willingly ignorant of those things. You know, God had... We don't have a lot of information about that time before the flood, but we know there are prophets on the earth. Uh, I mean, even, even uh, the name itself of of Noah's grandfather, Methuselah, uh, means when he dies, it will come. You know, his name itself seems to be a prophecy, at least of something. And, and if you work out all the years, what you find out is the same year that Methuselah died is the same year the, the flood came. You know, and uh, you have prophets like Enoch back there before the flood. Uh, you know, certainly there was there was information available, and you have Noah as a preacher of righteousness. And yet the world just continued on like nothing was going to happen. Now, when you read about what what's going to be happening on the earth leading up to the return of Christ, you, you might wonder, I mean, how, how could they be ignorant of what's coming, you know? Um, the scripture gives so much detail about what's going to happen, and you see it's just going to be terrible things happening on the earth. Um, and, and yet the world is going to do what the world always does, even in times of great tragedy. I mean, you can look back in history and and see periods of just great upheaval and tragedy. And, and what do people do? They just sort of continue on. You know, you think about you think about uh, Great Britain during World War II, and they had they had uh, 
rockets and, and bombs raining down on their cities and large parts of, of London were destroyed and other places and you know what did people do they just did their best to, to continue on with their lives and that's what they're going to do rather than looking at at these things happening in the world and causing them to to repent and, and turn to the Lord what most of the world is going to do is they're just going to they're just going to continue on yeah there'll be a lot of terrible things happening but they're going to continue on as if as if they'll just make it through these things and, and everything will be all right eventually. And so people will be just like in the days of Noah. Uh, they'll be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage right up until the day that that uh, judgment comes. And so it, it says they knew not till the flood came and took them all away. Verse these next few verses here. Uh, verse verse forty says then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Now, these are some verses that, in in the early days of what would be maybe we could term modern dispensationalism, uh, as as people started to to kind of recover that truth about the the catching up of the body of Christ. And you know, some of those those early dispensationalists, they weren't they weren't really clear about where the dispensational lines needed to be drawn. And and what happened uh, in a lot of cases is people started going back into some of these things in the Gospels and trying to find body truth back here in the Gospels. Okay, and this was one of the passages that that people looked at and they said, well, that must be the rapture, right? Here you have people being being Taken doesn't say they're they're taken up. It just says they're taken here, and uh, this must be a, a passage about the rapture. But in in doing that, I mean that might be that might be a, a tempting thing to do or or whatever. And often often what happened with those things is you know people would people would challenge somebody about this idea of, of the rapture, and then they would look for more verses to support it and sometimes wound up using verses that really weren't talking about the rapture at all. Okay. Uh, the context here, I mean, if you look at verse 40 or verse 39, it says they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. Now, who was taken away when the flood came? The same people that knew not, right? It was the unbelievers. The flood came, the judgment comes, and took the unbelievers away. I mean, I suppose maybe you could make a case that Noah was taken away in the sense that the, you know, that the ark was, was lifted up with the flood or whatever, but that's not, that's not the context here. The same people that are taken away are the people who didn't know. They knew not until the flood came and took them all away. It's the same people that were marrying and giving in marriage, eating and drinking right up until the, until that flood came. And uh, it's the same thing. The context doesn't change when you get into verses 40 and 41. Uh, who is it that's taken? The two, two are, are in the field or two are at the mill and one is taken and the other left. This is not believers being taken to be with the Lord. This is unbelievers being taken in judgment. And, and if it's not clear just from the context, go over to the book of Luke. Go to chapter 17 in the book of Luke. Now, um, what we're going to read here in Luke 17 is is really the addition. What Luke adds here is a verse that in Matthew also appears in the in the same passage, but it appears in a in a different place. 
Um, here where Luke puts this, it makes it absolutely clear about this taking. Uh, if you notice, it talks about, it talks about Noah, for instance, in verse 26, Luke 17, verse 26. Uh, it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, uh, Luke also adds Lot as an example. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Uh, in that day he which shall be on the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. He that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Now, um, you know, if we had if we had gone through all those verses in Matthew 24 uh, in in greater detail, we would have seen that back in Matthew 24, uh, mentioned especially when when that abomination of desolation is set up, right? That's where that's where Israel is called to go out in the wilderness, leave the cities, um, go out into the wilderness. Revelation describes that how how the woman is taken out into the wilderness and is protected there and fed there by the Lord. Uh, here we see that in in Luke, um, verse thirty-two says, "Remember Lot's wife." Uh, that's one of the shortest verses in the Bible, but a very important verse. Remember, you remember Lot's wife. Uh, that judgment, she looked back, and you know what's what's going on there with Lot's wife it is not. I mean, it was an act of disobedience just to looking back. But what it is is that's. You know, that's where her, her heart and her thoughts were, was back there in wicked Sodom. And, and she looked back. She wanted to see what was, what was going to, uh, come of, of this place where that she considered home. And the warning here is, when you see these things happening on the earth, for those people going through that tribulation, don't look back. Don't delay even, even to look back. When you see those things coming to pass, go. And uh, so he says, remember Lot's wife, verse 33, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. And, you know, again, the idea there, like with Lot's wife, is she's thinking about her life back there in Sodom. She's wondering if anything's going to be left. And, and she's thinking about saving that life that she had, and she lost her life. And he's saying, leave all that behind, leave your life behind, and that's how... Uh, your life will be preserved. And then verse 34, I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed, the one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Now notice verse 37, and they answered and said unto him, where, Lord, where are they going to be taken? One's going to be taken, one's going to be left, but where are they going to be taken? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Now, where are they taken? He says, you look for the eagles, that's where all the bodies are going to be. Okay? Again, this is not a taking to of believers to be with the Lord. This is a taking in judgment. They're going to be taken and killed. Um, that that uh, sentence there about where wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together, that was over in Matthew 24. If I go back, go back to Matthew 24, it was just a, a little bit farther up in the passage and wasn't necessarily connected with this taking. But you see Luke pulls it all together for you. 
um, you know, back in Matthew 24, we, we see that phrase, uh, up in verse 28, if you read verse 27, it says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And, you know, you see that over in the book of Revelation. If you go over to Revelation chapter 19, you can see what it's, what it's talking about. Uh, in Revelation chapter 19, you see the, the coming of the Lord, like Matthew 24 described it as being like, like the lightning. In Revelation 19 verse 11, it says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Uh, you know, an interesting contrast there is, if you think about the way that the Apostle Paul opens all of his epistles. He, all of his epistles open with grace and peace. Right? Well, what's the opposite of grace? It's judgment. What's the opposite of peace? It's war. And you see, well, today in the dispensation of grace, the, the um, attitude of God toward man as he's offering grace and peace, not so here at this day. It's not grace and peace. Why does Christ come there? It's to judge and make war. Just the opposite. And he comes to judge and make war. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And verse 17 says, I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And he, uh, John says, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. This is, this is, uh, Armageddon here. And, you know, often when people portray the battle of Armageddon, they portray it as if these armies have all come together to fight against each other, and that's not what it is. The armies aren't there to fight against each other. They're gathered together to fight against that, that, you know, you realize a lot of this battle that's going on in heaven, there becomes a, a point here where much of that is visible on the earth. And uh, Revelation 7, where they're able to look up into heaven and see the face of, of Christ. They're able to see the Lamb. And again, rather than, rather than believing in Him at that point, they want to be hidden. In fact, they want the, the rocks and the mountains to fall on them, to hide them from His face. Just, just because somebody you know, I mean, they're, they're going to have absolute proof that God exists. That doesn't mean they're going to love God or serve God or, or anything like that. Okay? And here, they're gathered together to fight against the Lord. That's why they're gathered. But, you see, verse 19 leaves you with them gathered together to make war. And verse 20, it says, The beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast 
and them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Um, it doesn't seem like it's it's uh, much of a battle there. You know, they're all here. You have these these great armies gathered together to fight against the Lord, and the first thing he does is takes their leaders, throws them into the lake of fire, and then it's just mopping up operations to take care of the rest of the armies. The remnant are slain with the, the sword that goes out of his mouth, which is the word of God. And, and you see the fowls there are, are filled with his flesh. Now, here in Revelation, it's focusing on the armies, where the people that are described back in Matthew and Luke are not not necessarily necessarily soldiers. I mean, they seem to be people going about their, their daily tasks, but these things are all associated here with the, the second coming of Christ. And where where are they taken? There, well, wherever the eagles are gathered, that's where his body will be. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.